Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'd like to bid a welcome to you, those that are online that are joining us for the very first time, True Words and in Sanctuary. But wherever you are, if this, you're here for the first time, uh, we just say thank you. Uh, we know there are a lot of great churches around, a lot of places you connect online even to worship. And, and down at True Worth, there's other places you can go, but you've chosen to allow us to be a small part of your spiritual journey. And we just say thank you for that opportunity. If you are a guest, you are new, I would love to meet you. Uh, if you're on the campus, I'll be out in the crossing. Uh, True Worth, send me, send me a note. You're watching online. I'd love to get an email from you. Just kind of hear what God is doing in your life. But please, please connect in some way. If you have your Bibles, find Luke chapter 19. If you want a Bible, raise your hand. They'll bring one to you. They'll, in the sanctuary you find there in the aisle, and a true worth, they'll place them in your hands as well. We're going to be at Luke chapter 19. And if you are new, uh, you called us. We see some, some hands. Just wait. They'll, bring it, they'll get it to you. Uh, we're in the fourth week of a message series we're calling Drained. And what we're trying to do is get rid of three words from our vocabulary. And we've done two so far. And the first two have been exhausted. And we're working on that exhaustion thing, the whole bucket scenario and everything. Overscheduled uh, last week, we kind of dealt with the calendar thing a little bit. And our word this morning is overwhelmed. Uh, now, we hear this around here over time. And you said it, I'm sure. Hey, I'm just overwhelmed. Uh, we hear this one from parents, single moms especially. <laughs> I'm just overwhelmed. I mean, I just can't get it all done. Ah, there's so much to do. I'm overwhelmed. Not enough time. Uh, I hear from folks who have health issues. Uh, whose body just never seems to get well. The same thing. I mean, oh, I'm just overwhelmed. I mean, this chronic pain, it's just driving, oh. Uh, in so many ways we hear this, but so often, the most frequent, it has to do with money. Uh, man, I'm just overwhelmed by the bills. They just, they just don't stop coming. Uh, I'm overwhelmed by the debt. Uh, it's so heavy. When is it ever going to go away? I, I'm overwhelmed uh, by, by the cost of health insurance. Uh, the medical bills, all that sort of stuff. I mean, the thought of retirement, it scares me. I mean, how is that ever going to happen in my life? We got college. They're thinking, man, I got to go to college. And I'm just, I just had no idea it was going to cost that much. I'm just overwhelmed. And we hear this so often in the areas of money. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at a guy in Scripture who, in my opinion, was overwhelmed with a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. Not just by how he managed or mismanaged money, but by how he earned it, uh, by how he hoarded it, by how he abused it. Uh, he just had this terrible relationship with money uh, to the point that he stops in his life and asks for a higher power to come in and help him. Uh, just a little time out here. Um, I've had the privilege of knowing a lot of awesome 12-step people. Uh, people have been in a recovery group of some kind. If this is you, man, you're welcome here. Uh, I know a lot of folks in this category. Uh, people who found themselves at a time in life where they just thought, hey, I got some behavior in my life that I, I just need a higher power to help me on this behavior because it's out of control. Uh, I have so much respect. Uh, some of my best friends, the uh, wisest people are 12-step folks. And uh, some who have been alcoholics, or some may have other sort of challenges, they would say something like this. They would say, I am powerless over alcohol, or whatever it is. I am powerless over it. Uh, my life has become unmanageable. And I need a higher power to restore me to sanity. And I will tell you, sometimes when I sit down with someone who uh, their money life is so messed up, 
uh, my thought is they need a higher power. They need something to get involved in their lives to restore them to some measure of sanity, to get out of the crazy of the way they're living in this area. And so we're here we are at Luke chapter 19, learning about this guy, uh, chapter 19, verse 1. Luke, we'll put it on the screen if, for those to help some of you. Uh, Jesus entered Jericho, and he was just passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, uh, come out of that tree immediately. I want to stay at your house today. So he came down at once, and he welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this. And they began to mutter, hey, this Jesus guy, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up, and he said to the Lord, hey, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, this is a very familiar story to so many. But I really think that this Zacchaeus guy, he's really just semi-familiar to you. Uh, you kind of bought into some things on the surface of the story. I, I've been reading this thing over and over again the past couple of weeks, and I've come to some new insights and some new opinions about what's really going on in this text. And I think it's more than what you realize. I, I don't think that Zacchaeus just climbed the tree to try to see Jesus because he was short. I think he was tormented. His conscience was tormented about how he handled money in his life. He was overwhelmed with shame and guilt in, in many ways. Uh, he had caused a lot of suffering in a lot of people's lives. He was a tax collector. And that means he cheated. He extorted money from lots of people, family and friends. Uh, back in the day, a Jew taking money like this from a Jew is called blood money. And he did it a lot. He had become wealthy. Nothing wrong with being wealthy. Go for it. Nothing wrong at all. But Zacchaeus here, uh, he had become wealthy, and he had not chosen joyfully to be a blessing to anybody, especially the poor. Uh, he just kind of thumbed his nose at the poor and said, hey, figure it out on your own. I mean, Jesus loves the poor, but he just kind of blew it off. I think Zacchaeus had got to a point in his life where he was beyond where an alcoholic gets. that says, man, I need a higher power to help me with this behavior. It's a, it's, it's a problem. I think that Zacchaeus was filled with self-reproach. I mean, I think he was worried about where his life was headed. He said, man, i got to get something done quick. I'm in trouble. I'm sinking. This is ugly. This is not good. I think Zacchaeus was filled with self-hatred over not just how he had earned his money, but how he abused it, how he had hoarded it, how he had not taken care of anybody else but himself. So selfish in his mindset. Just overwhelmed with shame. Now, I want to stop right here. And another time out. 
in the 33 years that God has allowed me the privilege of serving as one of the pastors on your church. I have heard stories from people from all walks of life in this area, uh, from the poorest of the poor and the wealthiest of the wealthy, all, all uh, lower class, upper, you call it, whatever class, whatever, from all. I've even sat down with dentists and doctors and uh, lawyers and business owners, people who have earned hundreds of thousands of dollars. In my office, somewhere over a cup of coffee, and they come and they it's over their face just ashen almost, and they say, Pastor, uh, I don't know how I'm going to explain this to my family. Uh, we're filing bankruptcy. A for sale sign's going up in front of the house tomorrow. How do I tell the kids this? Uh, the cars are being repossessed. All the assets are being frozen. The wedding rings, you name it, all the accounts. Liens are being filed by the IRS. I just need some help on how can I explain this to these people that I love how this happened. You would have to be in my office or be at that coffee shop or wherever and to have a front row seat up close and personal to see for yourself how devastating this sort of shaming guilt can be upon people. After the last service, there was a man who literally collapsed in my arms with the shame and the guilt of this experience. I know there's other, others of you who know exactly what I'm talking about. You do. Because if we were to put your true financial condition up here on the side screens, some of you would pass out with shame and embarrassment that other people really knew. And some of you right now are thinking, can they do that? Do they have the technology to do that? No, we don't. And even if we did, we would not do it. But you get the feeling, the sense of what you were feeling right then, right? Some of you multiply what I feel like Zacchaeus is feeling in this text. And he's just hoping some miracle worker can get involved and do something about this mess that he is in. And so Jesus sees him. He says, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. Uh, I want to go to your house right now. I want to have a little harmless dinner with you. Let's have, let's have dinner. Let's have a meal. Now, sometimes when I read this story, I think, I wonder what Zacchaeus' house, his crib was like. No, what was his crib like? Uh, he was wealthy. So I wonder, was it a 10,000-square-foot house in Jericho, the biggest house in Jericho? Uh, what Was it have all this exotic furniture and artwork that he had taken from, funded by the extortion of all of his family and friends? I wonder if it was like that. I wonder if on the doorstep of his palatial house, there were poor people that just hung out there all the time. Just their hands up begging. And so when Jesus comes to his house, they have to step over. Awkward, can you say awkward? Step over these people that Jesus just kind of, that Zacchaeus ignores going into his house. I just kind of wonder. We don't know the detail of everything that happened in that experience, the dinner, the conversation in the house. But here's what we do know. We know that Zacchaeus, his life was rocked by what happened at that dinner. Uh, his life was turned upside down. And in a good way, his encounter with Jesus messed him up. 
So much so that Jesus comes out and tells everybody in verse 9, hey, today salvation has come to this house. Someone who was lost has been found. Uh, someone who had no power over some behavior in their life, uh, they now have power over it. Uh, someone who was so guilty uh, from shame and guilt and embarrassment in their life, they've been cleansed, they've been set free. Somebody who was far from God, somebody who had been resting with God, they had been reconciled back to God. Today, salvation has come to this house. Something big happened at this dinner, huge. And it wasn't just one thing. There were two big things that happened. Not only was Zacchaeus spiritually reconciled to God, he was financially reconciled to God. Spiritually, he experienced the forgiveness of his sins, right? He experienced the mercy and the grace of God upon his life, restored through Jesus Christ and that relationship with God. But he also experienced financial reconciliation. He came before God and says, oh, my goodness, God, I can't believe how I've been living my life in this way. I'm so sorry, Jesus, blah, blah. Oh, he just confesses. He comes clean. He repents. And then if we know his heart. We know his heart is true. His heart is clean because right there in verse 8, he says, hey, look, Lord, uh, now... I'm going to give half of all my possessions to the poor. I think all of a sudden he has his self-awareness. Man, I should have been doing this all along. Um, this is Jesus loves the poor, and I've just done nothing. I'm going to take my financial portfolio. I'm going to cut it in half, and I'm going to give it uh, to bless people who just need blessing. But I think also in this, in this text, it shows us just how deeply he was feeling and how guilty he felt about how he had treated people and what he had done with the blessing in his life. Because it says right there in the rest of that verse, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I, I'm going to pay them back four times. I'm standing before a holy God who is perfect in every way. And man, I've got to get my life right and make up for all the wrongs of how I've wronged other people. And I'm going to start following and practicing the teachings of Jesus and his heart in all these ways. Before I go any further, can, can I ask you permission? And I know some of you in the sanctuary, you're going to have to agree to this and online and true or too, but particularly here in the yard. Can I have permission for a few moments to speak candidly? If you, if you don't give me permission to speak candidly, I will speak endlessly. <laughs> I thought that'd get the response out of you. Okay, so permission given, right? Permission given? Okay. It's my observation and my opinion. Most Christians have had a great, awesome spiritual reconciliation with God. You've experienced the forgiveness of your sins. You've experienced the relief that your past is over and you're going forward. But most Christians have not experienced financial reconciliation with God. 
That is the only logical explanation I can come up with as to why so many people who say they love God, active in His church, worship, and yet they have this ongoing, tormented, dysfunctional relationship with money where it's always problematic in their life. That's the only thing I can really come up with. I mean, you had spiritual reconciliation. Uh, you know God loves you, and you love God, and you experience this forgiveness thing. It's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a big thing. But if you have not yet experienced financial reconciliation in your life, I'm going to suggest that you have not yet been fully reconciled and fully set free before our God. That if you have not invited the power of God to break the power of money over your life, that if you've not invited the love of God, the grace of God to come in and cleanse you, to set you free from all the guilt and all the shame and all the, the, the things you have, uh, you've, and if you have not invited the power of the Holy Spirit to come into your life and to be a higher power, to be the Lord over all of your financial portfolio of your life, if you have not done that, I'm going to suggest, just suggest, that you are one reconciliation away from being fully reconciled to God. And some of you are wondering, uh, well, what does that look like? Uh, what would that feel like for that to happen in my life? Uh, what would it look like and be like for the Holy Spirit to come into my life and for the Holy Spirit to actually be the Lord over this part of my life instead of me? Because it's not working in my life. If I'm in charge, I'm just it's crazy. And, but what would it look like for the Holy Spirit to come and make money behave properly in my life instead of me making it misbehave? Well, I, I think, to be honest with you, it's very similar to a spiritual reconciliation. It's very similar. Over in Acts chapter 16, uh, the apostle Paul's in prison. And this military guy, this jailer, comes up to him and says, Hey, listen, Paul, uh, what must I do to experience salvation, spiritual reconciliation? And he says very clearly, uh, Acts 16, 31. He says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You will be reconciled. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins. Believe that God raised him from the dead on the third day. Believe that God has sent the Holy Spirit into your life uh, to give you power over those behaviors in your life that you have a hard time controlling. And believe that Jesus has gone into heaven before you, preparing the way to prepare a place for you that your eternity is secure. And you can live with that peace. And he's saying that believe in these things. And the military guy says, man, I do believe, I believe that. And the scripture says immediately he was reconciled back to God. And then he said, go be baptized. You and your whole family, go be baptized. Uh, another time out. This is Paul's here. Um, over the past few weeks and months, if any of you here, even watching online, uh, Sanctuary uh, True Worth here in the house, if... Uh, if you've come to believe those things, uh, you've been struggling with faith and struggling with God, and you go, yes, man, I believe those things. I've come to, yes, Jesus is my Savior, my Lord. 
I just want to ask you to think, maybe it's time for you to get baptized. It's time for you to drive a stake in the ground and say, man, I'm going to make it public. I'm no longer going to be a closet Christian. I'm going to drive a stake in the ground. I want everybody to know, my family to know, my brothers and sisters, my friends to know that I am following Jesus. Or maybe you strayed far from God. Some of you have been gone from God a long time. You've left the church for whatever reason. I mean, you just left and you become home. Like the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter, you come home. And you found out that the Father loves you and your church family loves you. And you go, wow. And you, you need to reaffirm your faith. You need to drive a stake in the ground and say, I'm home and I am back. Or maybe some of you, this, you need to say, this is my church home. This is my family. If this is you, I just encourage you to think about it, pray about it. Stop by the Welcome Center. We, in a few weeks, we're going to have another weekend of baptisms. Another weekend of people joining the church and saying this is my church home or reaffirming their faith in Christ, that, that you would do that in your life. And I think that's kind of like how spiritual, I mean, a financial reconciliation occurs. You've got to believe some stuff, drive some stakes in the ground, and you've got to practice some stuff. So I'm going to give you quickly as I can five things. I'm just going to move through this pretty quickly here, five things. Uh, that I think that you have to kind of do, I guess I better move back to the center here, excuse me, True Worth and Sanctuary online, uh, that you kind of have to do to be financially reconciled. And here's the first one, they're there in your message notes this morning. Uh, I believe all I have has come my way by the loving hand of God. I believe all that I have has come my way by the loving hand of God. I mean, do you really think that you are where you are in your life today because of your own strength, your own merit, your own talent? Do you really think you're that good? I know some of you are pretty good, but do you really think you're that good? The Scripture says in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from above. It comes from God. Your life is a gift from God. The fact that you woke up this morning, it's a gift from God. Uh, God has given you talents and abilities. God has given you the ability to grow and to learn and to expand your mind. God has opened doors for you vocationally, educationally. God's networked you with people who have come into your life that has changed your life. And it wasn't an accident. And anyone who has any sober judgment and any honest self-awareness and any measure of humility would have to say, all that I have, all of it that has come my way, it is through the loving hands of God. And I think if you're going to be financially reconciled, you would have to stay a stake and say, I believe that is true. I believe it. Here's the second thing I think you'd have to do. You must believe, number two, I must learn to live joyfully within God's current provision for my life. And the key word is joyfully. Uh, I must learn to live joyfully within God's current provision level for my life. From Philippians 4, uh, picking up at verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. But I have learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Any person that I've ever met that's been financially reconciled to God, 
uh, they have said, you know what? I'm learning to live joyfully. Joyfully. Be content within this provision that God has given me right now. Now, before you say, before you say, man, I'm all in on this, I want you to understand two implications before you say, yes, I, I'm going to do this. Here's the first one. Let me ask you, how do you respond when you see on Facebook, Instagram, or through somewhere else, one of your friends, God increasing their provision, and they get to go on this vacation, or they get to move into that house, or they get to go have that experience, or whatever, and when you see that, do you go, oh, man, how lucky are they? I wish we could do that. I wish we could do that. And you start envying. You start coveting. You get jealous, and you even get mad that they get to have that and do that instead of yourself. Or, or when you see God's provision increasing somehow in somebody else's life, do you say, man, I'm so happy for you. I'm so excited for you all. That is awesome. Hey, I've learned to be content with my provision level, what God is doing in my life, but I'm just so happy for you that this is happening in your life. Just a thought. Where are you on that? And where are you on the debt issue? Now, when we talk about debt, we're going to talk about debt here for a moment. Uh, I want to clarify. Here's what I'm not talking about this morning when I mention debt. I'm not talking about having a reasonable mortgage. Most of us, to have a house, you're going to have debt. You're going to have a mortgage debt. I'm not talking about investment debt on an appreciation asset uh, for making of money in business or whatever. We're talking about debt on a mortgage that's beyond what any, any reasonable financial officer would say, man, that's doable for you because you're at finances. And we're talking about depreciating debt on things that just go lower in value the longer you have it. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about debt. So I'm going to try to paint you a picture on this. And first of all, I want to tell you what I think debt is, this kind of debt. Debt is wanting more than what God has provided you and arranging another way to get what you think you deserve. Let me show you. Wrong color. This right here is God's provision for your life, okay? I'm going to just put God's provision. I'm going to put God's P-R-O-V. That all means provision. And it kind of goes up and it goes down over the course of your life. The economy changes. Sometimes you get raises. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes inflation is higher than what your income is. It just happens, right? Uh, so sometimes you find yourself in a layoff. Uh, you're having unemployment for a while, so it goes up and down. It just does. And the Scripture is saying that if I'm going to learn to be content, that I have learned to adjust my spending level to below God's provision. This is my spending level, that I'm going to spend less than what God is providing. And here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. This right here is called margin. That when I create margin between what God is providing, and I learn to how to be content, margin plus being content, I can experience equal financial peace. That's financial peace. Margin plus contentment equals financial peace. 
if you're going to experience financial peace in your life, you've got to learn to adjust your spending lower than God's provision and be content joyfully to live within there, and then you're going to know peace. But here's what so many God-fearing Christians do. You look at your financial provision by God, current, and you say, God, you messed up. You got me confused with somebody else. Somebody else is getting my provision. So since you got messed up, I got to find a way to get what I think was supposed to be mine in the first place. And so what you do is you come along and you arrange a way to get more up here because you think you deserve it. And that's called debt. And you have that puppy hanging around your neck long enough. The next word that comes up is slavery. You become a slave to debt. And then after a while, that gets to be so heavy, you start feeling this shame about your debt. Just like if I was to put it all up on the screen, there'd be so much shame felt by people. We're not doing that. And then that gets to the point where you go, man, I just feel overwhelmed. How am I ever going to get out from underneath it? I'm just so overwhelmed. As one of your pastors on staff, I will tell you, I cringe and I hate it when I have these conversations with people who tell me what they're experiencing. I go, no. It doesn't have to be that way. This is not God's plan for your life. He set you free so you could be free. Not to be in bondage up here and you're living in self-induced bondage. You are. I wish I had a magic wand. I wish I could have a magic wand that would give you, all of you, 24 hours of being totally debt-free. I don't have that wand, but I wish I did. Because if I had that wand and you were living right here, you know what would happen? You would discover that the sun shines brighter when you live right here. The air you breathe, it's so much fresher. You walk taller. You sleep better. I've had people tell me that their marriages are more frisky. Last night when I said that, a man went, sign me up. <laughs> I'm just telling you, life, and if you could feel that. And it came to the 23rd hour, and it's about to be gone. And you knew it was about to leave, but you've been feeling this. You know what I think some of you would say? Man, I'm driving a stake in the ground, and this right here is ending. We're going to come up with a plan, sell, trade, whatever we have to. I'm going to get out of this. I'll sell whatever it takes. I'll sell the kids. 
I might even sell a grandkid or two. I'm not. You might. <laughs> but it's never going to happen until you drive a stake in the ground and say, this ends right now. Period. And you're going, man, I, just, I can't do that. I got so much. There's no way I can get out. That is the devil talking. Last night after seven after six o'clock worship, I had a man stop me out in the floor at the crossing uh, who said we had three hundred thousand dollars of debt, depre depreciating debt. Took him three and a half years, but they got out. I got an email from some folks this past week, similar type stories. Church, we will help you. That's why we have this class coming up in January called Crown Ministries. I told you last week, put it on your calendar. You become what you have on your calendar. If you want to become this, put it on your calendar and sign up for those classes. Or the other thing you can do is go out of the Welcome Center and say, I need some help. We'll give you a financial consultant right now that will not charge you a penny to help you get out of debt to come up with a plan so by Christmas time it's not all crazy and made even worse. But you got to do something about it. Somebody drive a stake in the ground. We're going to do this. Number three, I will honor God by giving the first tenth of all my earnings for his purposes in the world. I will honor God by giving the first tenth of all my earnings. And this is called the tithe. And anytime this subject is brought up, it gets real quiet. A lot of folks feel very uncomfortable for one or two reasons. One is, you just, you, oh, you think all those churches want, all they want is our money. They just want our money. You've had some bad experience in your life, and you think that's true of everybody. A bad blah, blah, blah. Or some of you, you just feel so much guilt upon it that if we put your giving record up on the screen, which we would not, you would go, oh, you feel so much. So let's declare a guilt-free zone. Get rid of the guilt. Get rid of the shame. Get rid of the bad memories. Get rid of the bad stories. Let's start fresh and clean. What does the Bible have to say? Just real quickly here, let me help you with this real biblically. Uh, Proverbs over here, Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, listen to what the word has to say. Proverbs 3, we'll put it on the screen. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. And then that infamous passage over in Malachi, Malachi 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that is the church, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, I'm going to tell you what here. I want to give you a visual on how this works and what I see happening in people's lives. Uh, this is a faith issue. I'm just going to say it. It's a faith issue. This is a faith. And it's something we got two Christians. Both came to Christ at the same time. And one of them has faith in Jesus, but not in this financial or this, this, this part of thing about the tithe. So we'll call this the non-faith person, okay? And the non-faith person, I have come to a conclusion that I've got to get A to B financially in my life. And the only way I can get there is to give a, is 100%. I've got to have access to 100% 
I've done the math. I've done the calculator. I've sat down with my advisor. It's got to be, this is what i got to have. And then you get this other Christian. They said, yeah, I'm here at A too, and I also got to get to B. i got to get to the same place. But I've learned by faith that I can get there on 90%. Uh, because the other 10%, by faith, I'm giving to God the storehouse of my church. I'm just going to do that. Because I've learned that when I have faith and I do this, that somehow God takes me from B to C. And this place right here between B and C, this is called in the Bible the place of favor. That word is favor. Or even the place of blessing. And that place of favor and blessing, that doesn't always mean financial blessing. Uh, sometimes it means opportunity. Sometimes it means healing. Sometimes it means peace and contentment of living within that margin. But man, it's just a place of supernatural experience in your life that doesn't make any sense or logic. Now, here's the thing about this. Both of these people think the other is an idiot. Just kind of catch the humor of this, if you would, please. I mean, this person right here is going, hey, yeah, you, you're an idiot. I've done the math. You've drank the pastor's Kool-Aid from that church thing, right? Yeah, you bought into that old crazy church stuff. I've done the math. It's just going to require 100% to get there. And this guy's going, uh, nice. I think you're an idiot. Because uh, I've been doing this Thai thing, and God's taken me to a different place that's kind of, that I couldn't get there on my own in many places in my life. And uh, I really kind of think you're the idiot. And the question I ask you is, which one of these idiots do you want to be? <laughs> and I'm saying, I want to be this idiot. I've been this idiot a long time ago. But man, ever since I've really started in the ministry and earning wages, I, I've chosen to be, my whole life is a sea story. I can tell you stories. And there are some of you that are never going to experience it. And you say, ah, you just got to drive a stake in the ground and say, I'm going to give the first tenth of all my earnings to the Lord, to his purposes. And, man, it's not easy. It's a, it's a decision of faith. And I, there's not a single person who's ever done this I've ever talked to. Not a single one that doesn't have sea stories. Not a single one. But you've got to drive the stake in the ground. I can't do it for you. You've got to make that choice. Here's the fourth one. I will set aside a portion of all my earnings into a savings account for emergencies, giving opportunities, and for my later years. I'm just going to set some aside. I'm going to Proverbs chapter 6. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Uh, consider its way. Hey, be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, and yet it stores up provisions in the summer. Why does it store up in the summer? Because winter's coming. Any of you ever experienced winter finances? We're all of a sudden out of the blue. Your income goes, just tanks, right? For whatever reason, it's just gone. And you find yourself in a situation like that. Hey, we've all experienced winter and different causes of it. And you ever experienced a time in your house where it seems like demons got in your house? And the stove blew up, and the AC stopped working, and the cars left on the side of the road all at the same time. You ever had stuff like that happen? And you go, how in tarnation are we going to pay for any of this? But if you practice this principle, 
of setting something aside in savings. You just go, hey, just go buy the stove, and then we'll start replenishing our savings. You can do that in your church. Uh, we do this in your church. Some of you didn't even know this. Uh, we have two months of operating capital set aside in savings just for stuff. Uh, and this summer, uh, the, the, the sanctuary air conditioner stopped working. Cost us $25,000. I didn't come up here and stand on the platform and go, listen, beg you, please. We got to beg you, please. We need $25 more for everybody. No, we, we had to set aside. We just took it out, took care of it. You didn't even know it. And now we're working to replenish that. We, every month, we just set it aside. It's these basic principles in church. It's clear. You give to God first, you pay yourself second, and then you live at that level down below. Here's the last one. I will live each day with an open ear towards heaven, eager to respond to any whispers from God regarding my resources. I'm going to live every day with an open ear towards heaven. I'm listening, and I'm going to respond to any whisper from God if he, if he needs me. Here's the cool thing about this relationship with Jesus Christ. It is an ongoing daily relationship. I mean, you speak to God, God speaks to you. This is not religion where you just believe in doctrines. It's actually a relationship. And when God speaks, you're listening. God whispers, you go, oh, okay, God. And, and uh, hey, God, you want to use me over here? Ah, yeah. And if you've been reconciled financially and you've got things in order financially, you can say, hey, God, if you need me, just let me know and I'll be happy to oblige. So this past summer, I find myself in a coffee shop working on a message. It's a place I, I go frequently, just kind of sit and kind of think and pray and work on a message. And this lady's waiting, wait, table server's waiting on me, and she's overwhelmed. Oh, she has too many tables. It's packed. Too many tables. And everybody's upset because the coffee's not coming quick enough. And I'm kind of observing this, and she gets a text, and she comes to the side and looks on her phone. And I could tell this text was rather disturbing. So I'm working on this message, and the, the whisper of God came and said, Rick, I want you to stop what you're doing and just pay attention to this lady. I want you to write her a note of encouragement. And I want you to leave her a breathtaking tip. I said, okay. So I started writing a note on the back of the bill she had get me. It was about $3.43, 4 bucks, something like that for the coffee and all everything. And, and uh, so I'm writing a note of encouragement. I'm wondering, how much is a breathtaking tip? 30%, 40%, 50%, 10 by, yeah. And God said very clearly, $100. Oh, okay. So I wrote the note, opened my wallet. I had a few ones and a $100 bill. I took it out, folded it up, put it inside the note that I'd written, put it underneath a cup of coffee not to embarrass her or call attention, and I left. Uh, come back a few weeks later, sit at the same table, same woman. Eventually, she's able to get to a place where we'll take a little break, and she comes, and she says, hey, listen, I just want to say uh, uh, thank you for the note, uh, and thank you for the generous gift. Uh, that had to be one of the worst days of my life. And she said, I knew it was coming, uh, but that's the day that my husband filed for divorce. He took the only car we had. He froze me out of all of our accounts. It's probably one of the worst days of my life. And your note and your gift reminded me that God has not forgotten me. And he's going to take care of me. 
I want you to hear this. If you have not gotten yourself financially reconciled to God, you are missing one of the most cool things about being a Christian. Is supernaturally in unexpected ways God using you to bless and touch another life. It's awesome. And you're missing it. So I'm just going to ask you, just look at those five things. I know the time. God doesn't care about the time. I want you to look at those five things. Will you drive a stake in the ground? Will you drive a stake in the ground that first one? That I believe that all I have, all I have has come my way, has come through the loving hands of God. Can you do that this morning? I drive a stake in the ground. I believe that. Can you drive a stake in the ground that I will learn joyfully how to live? within God's current provision for my life. I'm going to, no more debt. We're going to get out of it. Will you, will you do that? Can you say that? Huh. Oh, God, I'll surrender all, but you're not getting the tithe. Oh, I'll surrender. I'm going to get, I got that. Seriously. Can you drive a stake in the ground? That you will give the first 10% of all your earnings to God for God's purposes. Can you do that? Will you set aside? We're going to set aside a portion of our earnings every even $1, $5, something. I'm going to put it in savings and we're not going to touch it for emergencies only. And are you going to live with an ear towards heaven, always listening to the Holy Spirit on how God might use you to bless and touch another person? Are you doing that? If you can say yes to that, you're on the road to being financially reconciled to God. And it's giving Him everything. So God, I pray now over these awesome people who have been spiritually reconciled so many, God, to you, experience your gov, your forgiveness in their life, your mercy in powerful ways. And there's some, God, who are still just in a financial mess. And I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you will be the Lord even over their financial portfolio in every sense of the word. And you will set them free from bondage from the crazy, insane way they do their money stuff, God. Uh, not just for them, not just for their own relief, but so they might know the joy <laughs> of being a blessing to remind people that you've not forgotten about them. So we surrender everything and nothing less, we give you our best. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you for coming. I'd love to visit with you.